Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is supported by Leslie Massey, a farmer's insurance agent here in Amarillo. You might have heard Leslie interviewed on this podcast last year. She's known for her personal customer service, for going the extra mile to walk customers through the claims process. Her agency also gets recognized for community involvement. Leslie works hard to build relationships with clients, their families, their businesses, and more. And I know this because the magazine I co-own, Brick and Elm, is one of her insurance clients. To learn more, contact Farmers Insurance Agent Leslie Massey at 806-352-7388. That's 806-352-7388. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Ag Texas Farm Credit Services online at agtexas.com, and to Opportunity School online at opportunityschool.com. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Dr. Carolina Perez. Dr. Perez is a surgical podiatrist at the Amarillo Veterans Healthcare System, which is interesting enough because that makes her the only surgical podiatrist I know. We talk about her career, of course, but we also talk about how she ended up here in Amarillo in the first place, and that's a pretty fascinating story in itself. She's only been here a couple of years, and before that, she lived in Kentucky, she spent time in Brooklyn, she lived a lot of her life in Florida, and she spent several years as a medic in the U.S. Air Force, serving in wartime operations in Iraq. Dr. Perez was born in the South American nation of Colombia and only arrived here in the U.S. at all during her childhood. And so all that travel and lived experience gives her a really unique perspective on what makes Amarillo a good place to call home, a good place to pursue a career and raise a family. So here's Dr. Carolina Perez. Dr. Carolina Perez, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Yeah, I'm honored to have you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we've, we've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I'm glad that we finally got it worked out. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask why you're here in Amarillo. So what brought you to this area? I know you're not from here originally. Yes, so I have a, a little bit of a long story on that, but I will keep it brief. So I did my medical training in Temple um, School of Medicine. Um, this is in downtown Philadelphia. Okay. So after being in med school for four years and like pulling all-nighters and being trapped in a city uh, for graduation, I literally told my husband in between med school and residency, I said, all I want to do is be outdoors and see open spaces. Okay. So... I don't know if anybody's very familiar with the process, but, you know, in between med school and residency, you either have to, like, work in the lab or work like a surgical tech or just kind of go back to your parents' home. Um, My parents live in Colombia, South America, so that was not an option. And his parents live in Belgium, so also not an option. So I had this grand idea, and I said, why don't we go live in a tent in national forests? And we thought, where can you do that? And we thought, the West. Certainly not in the East Coast. Okay. And not in Texas. <laughs> we don't we don't have a lot of national forests, at least in this part of Texas either. Yes, that is that is very true. So we got in a car, very regular car, with a tent, a very small one, and we drove all the way from Florida. We started in Texas. Um, he had a friend here, and we actually were on our way, you know, making it through New Mexico, Arizona, and 
we stopped at the Big Texan. Okay. And we thought, this is great. We saw the cars. Um, you know, we went to the Big Texan. And it was just so wild for us, this big open spaces. We've really never seen it before. And um, I was active duty Air Force um, in between active duty and reserves for about 12 years. But I've never really been stationed in this part of the country. Okay. Been stationed in San Antonio Air Force Base, but... It's a little bit different. Feel. It's a little bit different, and you're kind of in the city. Okay. And also Wichita Falls, and you just don't go many places, you know, without a car or anything like that. So this was just so wild, these, like, beautiful open spaces. We drove up, uh, you know, we kept our trip going to, like, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and made our, our way back to uh, Brooklyn, New York, where I had to go back to residency. Um, at the time, I was like, that's a little bit like going back to prison <laughs> after being in these beautiful um, spaces. So we fell in love with really this part of the country. Um, you know, fast forward out of residency, my first job was uh, or, you know, in a fellowship location, which was in Kentucky because we were trying to make our our way kind of west. OK. And out of cities. Yeah. Small steps, though. Yes, right. Small steps. So we had to go to like Louisville, Kentucky, which was great. And after that, you know, I always wanted to come back and work in the VA after I came back from Iraq. The VA hospital is just such an amazing support kind of organization mm -hmm. when you are coming out of combat. Um, I think for everyone, but certainly as a female, I just felt so much support. And at some point I said, you know, I would love to be a physician and I love the idea and I love the organization and, and what it stands for. So I would love to come back. I saw a posting, um, surgical podiatrist needed in Amarillo, Texas. So my husband said, we've been there before. And I said, is that the places with the guys and the guitars and that huge steak? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of came over and we've never regretted. We've been okay. here two years. Um, we actually love it way more than we thought we would. Okay. That's good to know that, you know, there's, there's a lot more to Amarillo, as any resident will tell you, uh, <laughs> beyond the big Texan, you know? There's a joke that, that that's for the people driving through, not necessarily for the people that stay here. So I'm glad that Amarillo has met your expectations and exceeded them. Absolutely. I would say way more than exceeded. Moving here, we were just expecting like a very small town. And of course, we were expecting something more like Wichita Falls, like a smaller town like right. Texas. But we just didn't know what entailed. But I think we now say we moved to the panhandle, Texas. We're not sure if we moved to like... Texas. <laughs> yeah. And, and there, there's a difference, I think, uh, of degrees, I guess, between the two. Uh, I, I have some follow-up questions yes. um, that I want to, to ask. The first one is, given that your family uh, is from Colombia, yes. how did you end up here? Did uh, Were you like first generation uh, raised here? Did you come here uh, after being born there? Yeah, so, um, no, I'm actually uh, born in Colombia. Okay. I moved to um, South Florida, of course. That's where South Americans move, either there or New York. Um, <laughs> when I was 11 years old okay. with my mother, and then I went to high school in South Florida, particularly West Palm Beach, Florida. And after going to school um, in West Palm Beach, Florida, one of my teachers said, well, you seem like a pretty good athlete. And at this point, I wanted to go on to college and I also wanted to just see different cities and explore different things. South Florida, you know, every place has its own culture. Yeah. So I always laugh and I say I'm the part of South Florida where it's kind of like South America 
in Haiti, and the first languages there are really Spanish, Creole, and French. Okay. In fact, many of our signs are just not in English. And if you go to any little like grocery store, they will just be a little grandma speaking to you mad because you're not speaking, you know, Spanish or French. And they right. will say, learn French, learn Spanish. So it's kind of funny being there and coming into Texas and seeing this part of the country and how different just U.S. can be um, altogether. But that's kind of how we came. I joined the Air Force when I was 17 um, out of Florida, out okay. of West Palm Beach, Florida. Why did you join the Air Force? I know that that's always been an option for people, more so for men than women, although that's changed a lot. I, I wonder, like, what's your story? What drew you into the, the service? So I was always pretty adventurous. I used to surf. I used to long-distance run. Um, I was always the person that was like, if there's a shark in the water, I was kind of paddling out. You wanted to um, see it, not I wanted to it, see right? it, yes. I was never a great surfer, but I did love going out to the beach and doing things, being outdoors. Uh, and just the thought of, you know, um, kind of staying around and the, the normal thing to do was like stay local, go to the beach, um, be in the service industry, or maybe go to the local community college. Um, I went to an Air Force recruiter and he was like, you can choose any base you want. You can go anywhere in the world you want. We'll pay for your degree and we'll pay for room and board. So at the end, I said, this is amazing. Where do I sign? Yeah. Which he said, you're not signing anywhere because you're 17. You have to bring your mom back. Okay. So <laughs> at this point, I said, well, this is great. Where do I sign? So he says, there's a, there's a paycheck. And I said, you even give a paycheck for this? This is great. I was like, I love it. I will sign up. But... With that said, I would have even signed up even if there was no paycheck because mm -hmm. I was like, the benefits are great, this sounds great, and it sounded like something I wanted to do. And you spent 12 years in the Air Force? I did. So I initially wanted, I was going to spend four years, and I ended up staying 12 years. Okay. Yes. So you re-enlisted, I guess. I did. I was enlisted, and I um, re-enlisted. And in fact, my, la my first base was Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. My last base, um, I served as a combat medical instructor mm -hmm. uh, in a program that we had called STARS, um, basically teaching people how to, um, you know, all the other medics, how to operate in combat conditions. Because at this point, I had already had a couple of combat tours okay. under my belt. So I became a uh, combat medicine uh, emergency instructor in Lackland. And that was my last base. Was, was that medic experience in the Air Force was that what led you into a career as a physician or did you always think, oh, maybe, maybe I'll end up going along that path? Like, how did you get into the medicine side of things? Yes, it was very much being, I, I always loved, you know, of course, like many people going into medicine, you're young, you want to help people, you want to do something like very useful uh, for people, for the community uh, and something that kind of like is a big umbrella, you know, in service. Um, but once I became a combat medic, I loved being a medic. Um, I worked in the field, not, you know, I worked inside the hospital. I also worked in the field, like extracting, you know, injured patients. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked in combat, in emergency room. We kind of rotated everywhere. But, you know, I will tell you the truth. When I, particularly being in, a, uh, in Iraq, I always had this feeling like I'm a medic and I wish I could do more. I wish I had a bigger scope. I wish I could help more. Um, so certainly like my limb, you know, you have limits as a combat mm -hmm. medic. You're not a surgeon. You're not a physician. So there's many things of pathology, of course, you don't understand because that's why you go to school for 12 years. 
and residency and then fellowship. So I always felt limited in scope of practice. Does it feel natural to you that you've ended up in medicine? I mean, was it something you ever thought about as a kid? Yes, it feels very natural. Okay. It definitely. It's, it's not a surprise that it's you, not. you didn't just like accidentally fall <laughs> into being a, a medic or, or fall in love with something yes. like that, that that didn't feel normal to you, I guess. Of course. I grew up um, originally, my childhood was in Medellin, Colombia, which if you guys are not too familiar, that Colombia is known for many things. Of course, coffee. And there's our other things we're known for, a big cartel. Yeah. So this is kind of my hometown. Uh, there's more to it than that. Of course, there's mountains, beautiful views, but there is a pact of kind of, you know, civil uh, unrest and civil war, particularly when I was growing up. So with that said, seeing somebody that was like shot, hearing mm -hmm. gunshots and being in this type of environment was not abnormal to me. Okay. So it's never been something that like you're going to combat and I was afraid. It was more like you're going to combat and one of my cousins is now in the Navy, and he called me from basic training and said, oh, I literally got shot at more being at home than, <laughs> than being easy. here in the American military. Is that part of why your your, yes. your mom came here? Yes. It was just to find a safer environment? To find a safe place okay. for us, of course. But I, you know, it was very funny. I told him, do not tell your drill sergeant that. Yeah. He will eat you alive. Yeah. So. <laughs> tell me why you ended up in podiatry. Because I know as a, as a combat medic, I mean, obviously you're dealing with all kinds of injuries, all yeah. kinds of uh, situations, illnesses, whatever. Um, podiatry is a, a very specialized, uh, especially surgical podiatry. So it tell is. me like what took you down that path? So um, when I was in Iraq, many of the injuries were actually lower extremity injuries. So I'm not sure how familiar um, you are like with uh, AED. So that's like an explosive ordnance right. device. Whenever it lands on the ground, it has a cono pattern. So a cono pattern, um, if you can visualize, it almost makes like when it hits the ground, it hits a cone. And the cone shoots from the ground up, almost making a triangle. So when people are running from it, if they're not taking cover, um, we call it getting sprayed. You're kind okay. of getting sprayed or you're getting shrapnel all in the back of your legs or really anywhere kind of from your lumbar region, so your lower back, all the way down your legs. So in fact, although I dealt with Many injuries, many of the injuries were lower extremity injuries, okay. gunshot wounds, many wounds. I dealt with lots of pediatric patients because unfortunately in combat, there's casualties, um, not only our own guys getting injured, right. but their side getting injured. And their side, unfortunately, is a lot of children, women, um, they're non-combatants, they're you know victims of war. Uh, but our hospitals, in combat, we take care of everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, we go under the Red Cross. So as a physician, as a medic, as a combat medic, you hold to Red Cross first, which means you have to treat everybody that is injured. Okay. Of course, at sometimes, you know, whether it's a mass casualty or what we're dealing with, some patients take precedence than others. Uh, and then, of course, many legalities, and it gets very complicated yeah. once we start talking about taking care of detainees. So detainees are the terrorists before you can prove they have a trial and you know that they're a terrorist. But it's basically someone that, say, planted a bomb in a base or that is actively shooting at us. So you, it gets very complicated once you see medically how to treat these people, how to keep these patients apart. But um, to 
kind of bring it back, it was during Iraq, I did lots of lower extremity injuries. When I went to sign up for kind of apply to med school, I shadowed one of my commanders who was an orthopedic surgeon, and he kind of did a little bit of everything. And he said, hey, do you want to shadow my partner? And I said, what does your partner do? And he said, he's a surgical podiatrist. And I naturally said, what is that? <laughs> what, is the, what do they do? So I shadowed him, and uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. I was in the operating room with him most days, doing lots of uh, foot reconstruction. Mm -hmm. This is in South Florida, so of course, taking some bullets out. <laughs> and <laughs> of course, doing some amputations, infections. So I just love kind of, the, kind of the broad scope, because although whenever people think podiatry, they think feet. Um, in fact, we take care of more like foot, ankle, lower extremity okay. injuries, whether that is like vascular, whether that is wounds, uh, nerve issues, um, bone fractures, infections, pediatric cases, club foot, congenital deformities. It really is a broad umbrella under a body part. Okay. I guess that's what I would define it more as. And, but and that's what brought me to podiatry. That, that's one of the things I thought mm -hmm. when I uh, was, was thinking about interviewing you was that you were a surgical podiatrist. And I thought, okay, that's that's very specialized and at the VA. And I thought, how much of that could happen at the VA? But then I started thinking, and like you've said, there are, with with veterans, so many of the injuries are, you know, those lower extremities. Yes. And that's not just something that they leave the service and they don't ever have to deal with. I mean, if, if you're 60 or 70 oh, yes. and you've got an injury from when you were 18 in the feet, like you're still still dealing with that. It is. And the ramifications of that continue throughout a veteran's life. And so that's a lot of what you end up doing. Is that right? It is. That is a kind of forever injuries. And we kind of break it down almost into like, what what war were you part of? Okay. And what injuries do you have? Because it's different for Vietnam veterans. It's different exactly. for veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. It is. Um, we literally have a new partner. And I said, I'll tell it to you very brief. I said, if there are World War II, you're going to be dealing with lots of shrapnel. And now, you know, lots of kind of metal, you know, from gunshot wounds mm -hmm. or even bullets that were never taken out. Wow. Because they used to not take them out. And now you have somebody that is 90 years old, and they said, I have a lot of pain here. And he said, well, you've had a bullet there for a very long time hmm. that no one took out. <laughs> um, and it's just the practice at the time. We're talking, you know, World War II. We've changed yeah. so much, yeah. our surgical approach since then. Um, and then, you know, Vietnam, of course, lots of issues, lots of issues with diabetes, uh, peripheral neuropathy, which is uh, in nerve damage, secondary to Agent Orange, and, of course, combat injuries. And this Agent Orange issue is very particular to um, right. the veterans coming back from Vietnam. And then lastly, more like Desert Storm, um, lots of chemical exposure. And of course, Iraq and Afghanistan, one of our biggest things is, you know, amputations because of traumatic wounds. Um, it, it can vary anywhere from there to just the very typical ankle sprain, but the ankle sprain that never healed. And now you're 35 years old, hmm. and maybe they work at Pantex, and they're just trying to go hike in Palo Duro. But they're like, I can't hike because this hurts a lot. <laughs> so then they come and see us, and hopefully we keep everybody moving. And I always say keeping everybody as healthy as they can be or moving as much as you can move and just keeping everybody going. So I've, I've talked to a number of physicians, uh, even a number of surgeons, but never one who works at the VA. And yes. so I'm, I'm interested <laughs> if you could tell me a little bit about your patients. I mean, yes. understanding they come from a variety of, um, you know, wars, let's say, 
a variety of ages. It's not just elderly patients. Yes. Um, but but before we started talking, you were talking about you know how you had a lot of people who were just traveling through, and they were veterans and they needed some help, and so that's where they go. So, what kinds of men and women do you end up serving here in Amarillo? Yes. Uh, and, and what does that look like? So you know we've realized Amarillo is a huge kind of um, traveling town mm-hmm. in a big town. For or people that like do RVing or they just love traveling or they just love hiking. We have a ton of patients that they take care of campgrounds. They're like campground hosts. Okay. Or they work in the forest service, um, traveling nurses. And what they will do is they will make, I call it kind of like that loop. And they'll start maybe in, you know, like Texas, make their way to New Mexico, New Mexico to Colorado, this to Arizona. Some keep going up, some make it their way. But this is a huge amount, or I would say a great amount of our patients compared to a civilian population. Hmm. Military population, um, to keep in mind, many of us, when somebody asks us, where are you from? It's such a loaded question. Right. I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida, but last time I've been there was maybe over eight years ago. Um, You know, I was born in Colombia. I go there more often. But for many of us, if you join the military when you're 17, by the time you know you've been in 10 years, you've really been all over the country, seen so many cultures, East Coast, West Coast, North to South, West, that you really feel part of all of these things. So it's it's tough to settle in one place. And I okay. think a lot of these veterans, they're kind of the same way. And I think it doesn't matter if you're kind of like Vietnam veteran. Definitely we see it much more with the Iraq-Afghanistan veterans, which is a huge amount of our population. And most people don't think about it, but this population is 25 to 50 years old. Right, right. So this is like... It's a long, long span of of ages there. It is. That is a big span of ages, and it's a much younger uh, population, I guess, than, you know, when we just had the Vietnam veterans before Iraq and Afghanistan. So... It's just a huge amount kind of of difference. They they move, they will come here, they'll grab their RV, and they will stop here in Amarillo, and they will say, can I have all my appointments for the month of April? It's beautiful here in April. They go live in Palo Duro. They go live in one of the RV parks. They do all their appointments, and then they keep it moving. Hmm. And then they call you somewhere from Colorado <laughs> and say, can you send my prescription again? Right. So it's a lot of fun hearing the stories of these patients. Um, some of them work as travel nurses. Some of them work as park hosts. Lots work really in the um, public sector, mm-hmm. whether that is, you know, electrical government, electrical companies that has them travel a lot, quite a bit. And I think a lot of veterans choose these jobs because we've been moving every two or three years for 20 right. years of it's, our life. It's, so it's just natural to keep it moving. Are a lot of the physicians at the VA like yourself in that they come from a military background? Is is that are you more likely to find somebody like that than just uh, somebody who got into medicine, you know, and didn't serve in the military but ended up serving veterans there? Um, at this VA, I don't know for other VAs. I've never worked at a different VA, but not at all. Um, okay. I think from all of the physicians, I'm probably the only physician that served. Really? Um, I did come here because kind of my mentors uh, in surgical podiatry uh, was Dr. Odom, and he was he's a Marine, and then we knew each other, okay. and we kind of talked and said, hey, you know, there's a position open here, but he's also, that would be a rarity. Uh, 
physicians, definitely surgical podiatrists, if we're active duty or we've been active duty, we all know each other okay. all over the country. Does it <laughs> so help? It's, so it's very small. <laughs> for, your, for your patients, like, is, is there a bond that you have when they do know that you've served just like they did? Do they trust you more or do they think, okay, this, this doctor knows what I'm going through and has been there? I think that, I think it makes a huge difference. I don't know that, you know, a connection between like a surgeon or a physician and their patients is so personal and you can connect in so many different ways. You know, you can connect in like, okay, you both have small children or you're both from this area, but certainly that is a huge place where you can connect of saying, you've been in combat, maybe I was not in the same combat they were if they were World War II, sure. but like I've been in combat as well. And I think that brings a big um, something that we call really in, in the military, like brotherhood or sisterhood, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we do like to kind of tease each other about being like Air Force or Marine or Navy or Army. But at the end of the day, it is a brotherhood and an understanding and sisterhood now <laughs> and an understanding of where you come from. Okay. So I, I want to shift a little bit just because I know you've only been in Amarillo a couple of years. Yes. You've lived in so many different places. Um, I have. <laughs> you're... You, you you came here without a lot of knowledge of Amarillo other than having driven through and gone to the big Texan. Yes. I, I want to talk about like how you, how you think about Amarillo now, having gotten your feet wet, you've been here for, um, for enough time to, to sort of learn the ins and outs of, of where you live. What can you tell me about this area that, that maybe you've learned in the past couple of years? I think one of the things I have two children, uh, one turned a daughter, Isabella, she just turned five, and a son, Valentino, and he just turned three. And my husband's from Belgium originally. All his family's in Belgium. I'm originally from Colombia. Uh, my mom retired back to Colombia now. So we thought to ourselves, you know, we have this family now, and he's traveled a lot because he's an attorney, went to engineering school. So anytime you're doing a doctorate, you're just traveling, living in so many different places, yeah. getting training, and so have I. So at some point we said, we have to be from somewhere because we want our kids to say they're from somewhere. So we thought we have to pick a state where children are going to be from. And being, I guess, zero generation, that's called for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> First generations when you were born here, he wasn't born here. I wasn't either. So being zero generation, I think we had the privilege to say, this is where we're going to be from. So we both agreed that our children were going to be from Texas. We just couldn't narrow it down to where in Texas. Okay. But since coming here, it has been a wonderful family environment. And I've lived in many places from East Coast to West Coast, North, South. But this is just such a wonderful community to raise children in. That's the biggest thing I could say. It's kind of like... They're everyone's children. Okay. And everybody feels such a sense of responsibility with all children. It's kind of like your panhandle children. Hmm. And they all take them into this big umbrella. And this is something so different that we've never seen in New York, really not Florida in particular, that communal sense. And we see people visiting back. Maybe they live in Dallas. And they always say, oh, I love coming back home to Amarillo. So it's, it's just a wonderful change, and it's great, this big sense of community. People tell us, I went to, you know, went to pre-K with friends, and now my drug rep told me, <laughs> I went to pre-K with friends, and we still all meet up every year. <laughs> 
So I think it's just, and they don't even live here. Right. Or some live here, but it's wonderful, that sense of community and closeness. This episode of Hamarello is supported by Blue Handle Publishing, a local publishing company that's been producing some amazing titles. One of their newest authors is Ray Franz, a former options trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and Chicago Board of Trade. Ray's knowledge and exposure to stories of the Chicago mob has brought to life his debut novel, The Heights. It's a work of historical fiction about organized crime. The Heights releases this fall and it's available for pre-order now. So look for The Heights and learn more at bluehandlepublishing.com. This episode is also supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the children entering kindergarten are ready to learn to read. This educational deficit at age five negatively affects a child's performance starting in first grade and all the way until they graduate. Two years ago, StoryBridge launched the Dolly Parton Imagination Library Program to address this problem. Thanks to generous local donors, more than 6,000 children under the age of five are now registered and receive a new age-appropriate book in the mail every month at no cost to their families. StoryBridge wants to expand this program. They want to reach more than 10,000 area children. So to give, to get involved, to volunteer, visit StoryBridgeAMA.org. You can learn more at StoryBridgeAMA.org. Okay, I'm back with Dr. Carolina Perez. Carolina, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas. Have you been there? You've I been have to not. This museum? Okay, that's a place that you and your kids need to go because they love it. That is definitely a, a do. It's, uh, its collection includes a variety of spurs used by cowboys in this area across decades of riding, wrangling, and roping. There's also a lot of like dinosaur stuff and fossils if your kids are into that. You can learn more about it at panhandleplains.org. Okay, you've only been here a couple of years. Yes. But when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I think it's going to be a vibrant city. I think it's going to be, I know it's a city now, but I think it's going to be a bigger city. There's with so many things to do. Um, every time I kind of turn around, I see a new place for children or a new play center or a new jumping place, a new restaurant, a new pop-up beer garden mm-hmm. or coffee shop. And I love how... It's getting to be like, I think it will always have this like small town feel, but certainly big enough to where it will attract all these people coming from big cities looking for exactly what my husband and I were looking for, which is just a great place that your children can say they're from and to raise your children in and for them to be safe and happy. And I think every parent, I don't think it matters what you do for a living, where you come from. I think as a parent, that's just kind of all you want. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Too much distance between amazing places. Okay. That would be one of our only complaints that we have is we love camping. We love hiking. We love sightseeing, biking, anything outdoors we'll do. And we do it with our children. Um, We love going to Santa Fe, anywhere to Oklahoma City, Mm -hmm. like Black Mesa. We love going to Albuquerque, Colorado. The distance. It's four hours to get anywhere. Right. I kind of describe it to my friends up north or just in the East Coast as we kind of live in the city, but it is surrounded by desert for about four hours. 
And that's funny because those places that you named seem close to me because yes. I've lived here all my <laughs> life. And so I'm just like, oh, yeah, four hour drive is nothing. Um, but if you have spent a lot of time in, I don't know, Philadelphia or yes. New York City, Brooklyn, you know, you drive four hours, you're crossing three or four states, you know, yeah. in, in some occasions. I mean, there, yes. there's so much stuff within <laughs> just course. a 90 minute drive of you. Of course. Uh, and, and so that that's is, a big difference here. That is a huge difference. I would say that's the only thing. And it's it's kind of hard. You have to plan some time if you want to go somewhere. Okay. That would be it. What does this area not have enough of? I'm going to have to say not enough physicians. Really? I think for the first two years that I was here, I was mainly practicing by myself in my specialty, serving a four-hour perimeter of patients. Okay. And patients always ask, why does it take so long to see a cardiologist? Why does it take so long to see, you know, a specialty surgeon for anything at all, like orthopedic surgeon, surgical podiatrist. Why does it take so long? And sometimes I tell them, kind of frankly, there's not enough physicians in this area. And this is not just the area of Amarillo. People come to Amarillo for their medical care coming. Really, if you draw a four-hour perimeter, right. particularly for the VA, they we have patients from all the way almost to Dallas. We have patients from, you know, Dumas, patients from Oklahoma, Patients from Colorado, patients from lots from New Mexico, and all of these very rural areas. So I think there's just so much of a gap, desert, mm -hmm. <laughs> and just big roads and big spaces. And there's just so many physicians here in Amarillo. And sometimes I, I've said it's kind of like we're, we're dog chasing a car. Okay. Um, there's just a lot of people to be seen. We want to see them, but for two years I was practicing kind of on my own, serving that big of a population. Thankfully, now we have four physicians of my specialty. One of them, I personally, I'm very proud. I recruited from my own medical school. Okay. She's also from New York. She's from Long Island originally practicing in Ohio. And I said, listen, I work in this town. It's amazing. I love the culture. Do you want to move your very New Yorker family here? And she was like, yes. So I guess I'm doing my very little part Good. to bring yeah. some more physicians into the area. That's that's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I, I think people don't often think this this is not Amarillo is a city of two hundred thousand people, but really there are five hundred thousand people who live in the Panhandle that all come to Amarillo yes. for everything they need. And so, yeah, four surgical podiatrists serving that many people does not seem like enough. Yes, but definitely one was. Much worse. <laughs> yeah, yes. I can understand that. Yes. So I'm glad you're you're adding to your numbers. Yes. Um, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? The people. Okay. That's really the most underrated thing. I have found, again, such a sense of community. When you say, you know, my child is sick, people will literally say, Dr. Perez, I will watch your child. <laughs> and, and the neighbors will say it. And I think they really mean it. It's not like in other states where they'll say it and they're just saying it. I think people really mean it when they say, if you need help, if you need anything, we're here. The neighbors really mean it when they say we're a community, like, what can I help you with? The people are just so amazing um, in so many ways and just such a sense of community. This is their community. They take care of it. They love it. And one of the things is they're so inviting when you're not from here um, and you know, the culture is so different, but they want to include you and they want to invite you into their home and just their space 
and show you what like Amarillo is all about and what Texas is all about. And I love just that sense of pride. So the thing I would say is most underrated is the people. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I would have to go with, I have to, Strata. Okay. It's amazing. I think it's a great place to like hang out. All the medical residents study there. Yeah. And certainly when I have to study for boards, if I'm like doing boards, you know, recertification or anything, that's kind of where I run to for a quiet space. And another funny place, but to come in and grab like donuts and just quick coffee would be United. Really? Would never think so, but it's a quick place if you have kids and you just need to like run in and out. That's a great place. No lines. And if you have a screaming toddler, you can get out of there in less than 10 minutes. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? So we love Pondaceta, um, which is kind of like a food truck. Right. But of course, we base a lot of these things just based on like, where can our children go play? Where can they run outside? Yeah. So they're not trapped inside. So we look at a lot of these places where they have like a little beer garden or somewhere for them to run. So we go a lot to like Pondaceta. Another one is um, Sad Monkey in Canyon. Yeah, yeah. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful place to go for a hike. We go for a run there quite often and kind of on the way back, it's a beautiful place to stop and have a coffee or a beer and just let the kids run around. Okay. So we love these places. What's your favorite building in Amarillo? The Barfield Hotel. Okay. We absolutely loved it. Have you stayed there? We have not stayed there, but we didn't know much about Amarillo. And we literally went with our kids just walking through the hallways. Okay. There is beautiful art um, from, I think, I'm not sure the era, but literally maybe a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Probably showing, the 1920s, I think was when it was yes, built. Yes. Showing pictures of what Amarillo used to look like and the culture and all these like cowboy stuff everywhere. And it's just so neat to see all of these things. Very original to Amarillo. Whenever... My mother-in-law and my father-in-law visit from Belgium, and even my mom coming from, she comes here a lot. But we always love to take them there and kind of like go eat or just hang out. There's a second little kind of patio balcony. Right. right. We call it the Amarillo Rooftop, and it's a great place. But we love this building. It's beautiful, and it's full of just so much kind of art and it's a little bit like a museum yeah. of Amarillo. I'm, I'm glad you think that. I, I've been here long enough that I knew the Barfield when it was an abandoned building before it turned into yes. the hotel. <laughs> and it you know, it opened probably about this, the time that you got here. And so I go there and I see it and I'm just like so happy that it's not yes. this eyesore in the middle of downtown. They've turned it into this beautiful destination now. It and is. So I, I, love, I love hearing that sort of outsider's uh, perspective on on something that we sure don't take for granted either. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? A very long time ago, maybe when I just, when we just moved here. Okay. But I will tell you, we go to the Big Texan probably every other week. Okay, so it's still on your <laughs> radar. Uh, yes. Even though you live here now, like you, you're still a big Texan fan. We are. My children love it there. They love the idea of putting this cowboy hat and shooting the little guns. They love hanging out in the patio. And we just love going in there because it's kind of like we live in Texas and you feel like you live in Texas when you go there. So although it may be a spot for tourists, mm-hmm. for people from Texas, uh, when you're not from Texas, it's just such a fun place to go. And we take our friends from out of town. We always take everyone from out of town there. And certainly my kids love it there. So that's their number one restaurant. Whenever we ask them, where do you want to go eat? They say the cowboy restaurant. Okay. 
Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? So just last week, we went to a beautiful art gallery near downtown. Um, The artist's name is Alexis McCaffrey. Yeah. And she owns this this beautiful space, an art gallery. And whenever we walked in there, it's almost like you're in this very artsy part of it's like the panhandle turned kind of, you know, art and eclectic and all of this different kind of spaces that she has. And I said, this is kind of a mix between like Santa Fe and like New York mm-hmm. and any city that you could be in, in like San Diego. And she did tell me and a lot of the artists that were there, they said, you know, a lot of our art was inspired either by being in New York or being in Santa Fe, but it has just this big Amarillo art feel to it. And I absolutely love that, particularly for my children, because that is something that if you can have an art space like this and just so many different things for them to experience, Mm -hmm. um, I love that about it. Good. Yeah. I, so Alexis is a friend of mine, so I know her, I know uh, the gallery, which is called Stoics Gallery, which is relatively new. I mean, she's only opened it a few months uh, ago. So I, I love that endorsement. Dr. Perez, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Dr. Perez for the interview and to StoryBridge, Blue Handle Publishing, Leslie Massey Farmers Insurance, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Hey Amarillo. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because people like you listen to it. And that means a lot. It's also because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. Heyamarello's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Corey Burns, they're not related, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 313. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.